Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 59. Do the Harlem Shake. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he wants to coach a soccer team someday, Pat Flynn. Hey, what's up? This is Pat Flynn and welcome to session 59 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. I am finally back finally back. Now, what does that mean? That means there hasn't been a podcast for about two weeks now, but it wasn't because I wasn't trying. Seriously, trust me, I was trying, but it was because my server was attacked. Yes, attacked. A DOS denial of service attack, which basically means that someone or something or a lot of someones or some things out there had the capability to send a ton of requests to my server all at the same time. So much, in fact, that it denied access to my server to regular, normal web traffic. So if in the past two weeks you came to my uh, site at smartpassiveincome.com or even some of my other websites and businesses too, yes, most of my websites were down for an entire week, uh, you probably either got an extremely slow website or no website at all. It was a, it was a totally crazy week, especially because, you know, uh, as this was happening, I was traveling to San Francisco and also from San Francisco to Portland. I mean, the, the, the timing couldn't have been any better. And, and obviously, I mean that sarcastically. I could go on and on about this. And actually, I did in a blog post I just published not 10 minutes ago since starting this recording, all about what happened to the server and what happened as a result of the downtime, including an estimated loss of $12,000. Um, crazy, right? According to my calculations, lots of lessons learned, lots of good things actually that came out of this too. So if you're up to reading that blog post about this whole ordeal, you can go to smartpassiveincome.com slash server dash problems, server dash problems. Anywho, I'm excited to be back, excited to get the podcast up and rolling again due to the uh, 
Due to the downtime, I have a number of recordings already made for you. Lots of great content, including an interview with Longtail Pro creator Spencer House from Niche Pursuits or Niche Pursuits, whatever your preference is. Uh, an interview also with a woman who is self-employed who started a business around potty training babies. Not toddlers, but babies. Like, six to 18 months in age. I I can't wait to share that one with you. It's awesome. And then also a roundtable session with my team members, my editor, my videographer, and producer for my recent project, Let Go, my book that's coming out later this month that is on a brand new platform called Snippet. And you'll hear more about that at the end of this session. But in that interview, or not interview, but in that roundtable session, we talk about you know, where we think publishing seems to be headed, what it was like to manage this project that was so much more than a book, actually. There, there's there's audio and video involved and also social media integration, too, and, and what it's like to work on a brand new platform. I, I'm super stoked to share it with you, but again, more on that at the end of the program today. So for today, here in Session 59, I'm really excited to bring on a guest who is actually someone I, I kept hearing about on Derek Halpern's website, Social Triggers, you know, in, in his videos, on his podcast. He's a professor of marketing at Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania who just came out with a brand new book, and I was lucky enough to get my hands on an early copy before it was launched, uh, and, and it, was a great, it was actually a really great, very easy read, and by easy, I mean it, it was pleasurable, uh, it was actually really quick and, and easy to understand, and also easy uh, in, in in the way that it kind of breaks down and organizes thoughts behind why things go viral. The book is called Contagious, Con- Contagious uh, Why Things Catch On by Jonah Berger. So let's welcome Jonah to the SPI podcast today. How are you doing today, Jonah? Great, Pat. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's a, it's a real pleasure. Again, I heard uh, of you through Derek Halpern from socialtriggers.com many times, so I'm really excited uh, excited to have you on the show. Now, I'm sure you've been pretty busy lately, especially with your book Contagious coming out. Uh, actually, I think it comes out t- tomorrow, March 5th. Is, is that correct? Yeah, March 5th in stores everywhere. That is so, you must be so excited for that. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. How, how do you feel right now, like knowing that your book's coming out tomorrow? I can't wait to go to an actual bookstore and and walk in uh, through the front door, go to the front table at Barnes and Noble, and actually see it sitting there. It's been a huge labor of love for the past few years. It's uh, coming out in 15 languages. We're really excited about it. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to dive into it. And again, thank you for sharing some of your valuable time with us. Now, before we get into Contagious and uh, you know the subtitle is Why Things Catch On, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Jonah Berger? So I am a marketing professor at the Wharton School, uh, and uh, there I teach issues uh, surrounding social influence, so both word of mouth, what we talk about and share, but also uh, traditional social influence, how we persuade others, how our, our behavior affects other people's behavior. Uh, and I mix uh, teaching and research uh, with a little bit of consulting and other sorts of things on the side. Nice. Very cool. Now, why did you decide to write Contagious. You know, in a nutshell, what is it about, and why did you decide to write about it? 
You know, I, um, as, as many people were about a decade ago, I read the book, The Tipping Point, and was enthralled by that book. I thought it was mm-hmm. an amazing book, uh, an amazing uh, research question. Why do things become popular? How do they spread among populations? Um, but I even asked Gladwell at the time, sort of, you know, what research has been done in this area that you'd recommend reading? And, and there really wasn't much out there, um, particularly anything about why people talk about it and share things, why things go viral, why some products get more word of mouth than others. Um, and so that really kicked off uh, a passion for me to study these issues, uh, which took me through both undergraduate and my PhD uh, and through the research I've done at Wharton. But all along the way, I thought, wouldn't it be great to share these ideas with others? Uh, often academic writing is very verbose and difficult to read um, and you know hard to understand, yet alone apply. Uh, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to share these rich and insightful ideas with others so they can use it to help make their own products and ideas more contagious? Yeah, I love it. And I have to say it is a very easy read, but it's a, it's very exciting and useful information. I was on a plane uh, a couple days ago and, and I got, I read through just a ton of it as much as I could, like really like a big chunk of it in a really short period of time. And I appreciate the way that you've structured it and and just, again, how easy it is to consume. It's It's, it's been very useful to me already. It's got my gears turning in my head and I'm hoping this interview is going to do the same for our, uh, the audience today. Now, there is a lot of debate on what makes something, you know, go viral or, or, or catch on. You know, of course, some think it, some think it's just pure luck. And, and we see that when people just put something online, all of a sudden it explodes. And other on the other end of the spectrum, some people believe there, there's a very specific exact formula, you know, follow these steps, one, two, and three, and you will have a viral video or something like that. Where do you and, and Contagious lie on that spectrum? You know, um, I think it's not random and it's not luck and it's not chance. Um, there's a science behind why people talk about and share things and why things go viral. Um, does that guarantee that, you know, if you follow the, the principles in this book, you can be the next Gangnam Style and have a billion views? <laughs> Probably not, right? There's a, there's a little bit of a magic to, to that quality, but um, it's just like baseball, right? Or it's just like any other business activity. What you want to do is increase your batting average, right? You want to increase the chance that people talk about and share your idea, and these are research-based principles that do that. So we've analyzed 7,000 New York Times articles to look at what articles make the most emailed lists. We've looked at over 500 brands to understand why certain brands are talked about and shared. We've looked at YouTube videos and offline content and a whole host of things. And again and again, we found the same principles coming up uh, repeatedly. It wasn't chance and it wasn't luck. Certain characteristics of ideas, of products, of B2C things, of B2B things, again and again, were linked to more talking and sharing. Um, And so we thought it would be great to explain these principles and show people how to use them to help their own ideas catch on. Right, absolutely. And you you sort of break down the book into these different principles and sections. And those sections are social currency, triggers, emotion, public, practical value, and stories. And I've touched on some of these things slightly on the blog before. You know, I, I talk a lot about using stories as a, as a way to share information and, and be remembered because it, you know, people are just born to listen to stories and, and it gives a personal touch. Emotion, because that's what get that's what will get people to take action. But let's start with the first one that you you talk about in the book here, social currency. What, what, is that, what does that mean? And give, give us an example. And, and how does that help something spread, really? So, so I think the idea of social currency is very simply people talk about things that make them look good, right? We care how others think about us. We care how, whether others want to be friends with us, whether they want to get to know us better, whether they want to take us out on that, you know, that second date. Um, and what we talk about and share, just like the car we wear, the cars we drive or the clothes we wear, affects how people feel. 
when we talk about things that make us look smart and in the know rather than, you know, dumb and behind the times. We talk about uh, how we got invited to a special party or we know about a new restaurant that's coming up in the neighborhood. Uh, we talk about a new tech gadget that we just got or, you know, recently LinkedIn sent out something, you know, to tell people, hey, you're the top 5% of profiles on LinkedIn. People share those things because it makes them look good. It makes them look like they're special people. Um, and But along the way, they're spreading word of mouth about the products and brands that are part of those stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, everyone out there listening right now, just think about the last thing you shared maybe on Facebook or Twitter. And chances are it's going to be something um, that was pretty much about yourself or or that's going to help you in some way. And even if it was some about something else, maybe it's a link to a particular article that you liked. It is really, you, you're really, you, what you're saying, Joan, is that we're really doing this to not only just help people, but in fact, make ourselves look better, become, you know, put ourselves on, on that stage where, Hey, we're the ones that found this. Check it out. Yeah. I mean, we're making an impression we're, and we're affecting our oppression on others. I think one great example that I talk about in the book is in, in Philadelphia, there's a restaurant that has a hundred dollar cheesesteak. Uh, it's a cheesesteak with lobster and truffles and mm-hmm. a Kobe beef. And it comes with a bottle of champagne now, the first time you hear about that, you go, wow, $100 cheesesteak, that's amazing. Um, if you've tried it, you definitely tell other people. You tell other people because it makes you look special and you know wealthy and high status to have tried that sort of product. But even if you haven't tried it, telling other people about it makes you look cool because you know interesting information. Um, you have access to things that maybe other people don't have access to, and it makes you look smart and entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's funny you mentioned that because just the other day, my friend who – frequents Vegas quite a bit. He sent, he got comped for, uh, you know, X number of dollars and that he had to spend from a particular casino. And he sent me a message with a, with a, with an image that was a receipt where he paid, I think it was $500 for a hamburger from Carl's Jr. And it's, <laughs> it's this, uh, the, I guess they have a Carl's Jr. in Vegas where you can buy a hamburger for $500. It just comes with a bottle of Cristal. That's why or I think, yeah. you know, that, that's why it's so expensive. But that's a perfect example. I mean, he was sharing that um, not not to like kind of show off, but I mean, because that was cool. But now I know about this and now I'm sharing it here on the podcast. And so now this message is is, is being being spread. No, I love that. And I think, I mean, the funny, the funny thing about it is, is it's hard to see ourselves doing this, right? We all say, oh, no, I would never do that, right? I would never, you know, I would never talk about things to show off, but we can easily see it in other people. You know, when our friends do this or our colleagues do it, when someone tweets, oh, I got upgraded to first class, all of they're sharing that is because they're excited, but they're also sharing because they want you to know that they got picked, that they're a special person. Yeah, absolutely. So from a content creator's point of view, most of us who are listening to this podcast are probably content creators. How can we use social currency? Does this mean we charge a ridiculous amount for something just to get it known? Or, you know, what's what's the really underlying um kind of motivation there uh, as far as social currency is concerned for content creators? So so I talk about a, a few ways to apply this in the book. One way um, is to make people feel like insiders. And that's not necessarily just by making something really expensive. There are other ways to make things scarce or exclusive. So Gmail, for example, when they first came out, not everybody had access to the product. You had to know someone who worked at Google who had gotten an invitation. And so by making it seem really exclusive, it built demand for that product, which then encouraged people when it was available to everyone to go snap one up. They felt like they had to get one because it was so exclusive. Same thing with In-N-Out. In-N-Out has a secret menu that you might have heard of before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and, you know, the menu isn't even that secret, but the fact 
it seems like it's a secret menu makes people want to talk about it and share it because it makes them look cool and in the know. So, so one thing is to make people feel like insiders, feel like they have special information. Uh, another is to harness the inner remarkability of any product or idea. Um, and so we think some products are naturally more remarkable, things like Hollywood movies or, you know, cool Apple gadgets. Um, but other products are not naturally remarkable, like cement or like uh, blenders, let's say. But a few years ago, and your listeners may be familiar with this, um, the company Blendtec put together a campaign called Will It Blend um, that got people to share millions of times a video which is essentially about a blender. Like they showed mm-hmm. someone dropping an iPhone in a blender, and they showed that the blender tore that uh, iPhone to shreds. That was pretty remarkable to see. It was amazing that a blender could do something like that. But because it was so amazing, people shared it with others because it made them look good. So again, it's all about finding what that inner part of that product is, not necessarily making it expensive, but what can make people feel like they have access to something special or make them feel like the product is particularly remarkable. Yeah, I love that. And one of the most recent examples that I've experienced is there's this new iPhone application called Mailbox, which is supposed to revolutionize how we deal with mail through our iPhones or, or you know, Android phones or whatever. And you sign up and then you're put on this list and you say it says like you're 500,000 in line or something before you before you get it. And then it counts down. Um, and I've just like everybody I saw everybody. The reason I got that is because I saw other people sharing it and um you know, they were like 200,000 in line. And, and um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I got to get on now before I'm 800,000 in line. And, and, and that's sort of the, I feel like an, another insider um, scarcity move that they did. And of course, they can just release the app like to everybody if they wanted to. Um, I don't know if there's any other, you know, maybe technical reasons they're doing that. But from a marketing standpoint, that, it, it's, it, that's a great idea. And, and that's just like what you were saying earlier. Yeah, no, definitely. So the second one, so that's social currency. Second one is triggers. What what are what are triggers? And and well, I mean, I think we all have an idea of what are triggers, but but specifically for something that goes viral, like what what is a trigger? What's an example of a trigger? And how uh, that 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 you talk about? So um, just to make sure everyone understands what a trigger is, you know, if someone says peanut butter and, uh, you might think jelly, and and or if I said rum and, you might think coke. Uh, and so the idea there is peanut butter is like a little advertisement for jelly. It's a trigger when you see one thing that makes you think about a related idea, product, or, or thing. Um, and one of my favorite examples of this is actually uh, the song that came out a few years ago by Rebecca Black. Uh, so there's this song. It was called Friday. Um, people often say, oh, this is a terrible song, right? If you listen to it, it's about a girl waking up and having breakfast and dealing with those big teenage dilemmas of whether to sit in the front seat or the back seat of her friend's car. It, it's not really a good song. In fact, some people have called it the worst song of all time, uh-huh. which in itself is sort of an achievement, right? If you can really make the worst song ever, that's pretty impressive. But even though people are saying this song is so bad, it has over 300 million views. It was one of the most viral videos of 2011. And one question is why, right? Why are people talking about and, and sharing this song? Well, if you look at the data, you look at the searches on YouTube for Rebecca Black, and you look at them over time, you see there was sort of a big spike in attention, and then it starts to dwindle or go away, but then it spikes back up, and then it dwindles and goes away, but then it spikes back up. And if you look at the spikes, they're not random. They're actually seven days apart. And if you look closer, you'll notice that they're on Friday. <laughs> and so while the song Friday is equally bad every day of the week, Friday provides a little reminder, a trigger, to make people think about that song. And not only make people think about it, but to make them watch it and to make them share it with others. And so one reason that song did so well is because it had a prevalent trigger in the environment. Every week, one day of the week, reminded people to think about it and pass it on. Mm -hmm. 
Now, do you think, now I'm trying to think of another an, an example that, that I've used where I've sort of kind of spread around based on something that I do. And that that is be everywhere. That This is this marketing strategy that I have where you, you don't just put yourself on your blog. You put yourself on your blog, on a YouTube channel, and on a podcast. And with those three mediums, you can you can t- kind of take your brand to the next level and reach more people at the same time. And I've, I've noticed a ton of people sort of following this, this same path after I did this presentation uh, about this um, in, in a Blog World Expo in L.A., uh, a couple of years ago, and now what people are saying is that uh, oh, this person's doing Pat's Be Everywhere strategy, or uh, they someone sees someone start a podcast and then share their YouTube videos at the same time. That's oh, that's that's Pat's Be Everywhere strategy. So it could like for uh, for us content creators, I, I really feel naming stuff is very important. Seth Godin talks about this a lot. You know, when you put a name to something and that name is attributed to you, that becomes a trigger for something that that represents you, even though it might be going on somewhere else. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we often think about, you know, social currency as I think something marketers think about, right? Oh, I need to make my idea remarkable. I need to make it, uh, you know, sexy. I need to make it exciting. But I think marketers think less about triggers, not just what's something that is great about you, but what's going to make people think about you, even when you're not around. What's a cue or a trigger in the environment that when they see it, they, they can't get you out of their head? And so I think it's really important not just to be a remarkable idea, but be something that's triggered by, by the surrounding environment. Right. Absolutely. Now let, let's move on to the next one, emotion. I mean, obviously, emotion plays a huge role on why people share stuff, um, especially when it comes to things that are like political or, you know, that, those are the kinds of posts that I notice that are being shared on Facebook quite a bit. Stuff that's political, stuff that's controversial, stuff that will get people to really share their, their true deep down uh, opinions. Can you expand on emotion a little bit as far as stuff that goes viral? Sure. So um, you might think that, that all emotions increase sharing. Right. Um, uh, and indeed, there, there are definitely some emotions that increase sharing. So when we feel really excited about something, we get a new promotion. We, we love to tell everyone. Or as you just said, you know, maybe if we're really angry about a political issue, we, we, we share that information. YouTube videos benefit from how funny they are. So maybe humor also drives sharing. But when you think about it, it's not then just that positive or negative drive sharing. The emotions we just talked about, some of them are positive, like excitement or like humor. And some of them are negative, like anger. So if it's not just positivity or negativity or all emotions lead people to share or just some increased sharing and some decreased sharing. And what we found uh, in our analysis of over six months of New York Times articles is that it's not just the valence of the emotion, the positivity or the negativity, but also whether those emotions activate or arouse the reader, whether they get your blood flowing, whether they get your pulse quickening, your heart beating faster, whether they, they activate you or deactivate you. So if you think about, let's say, anger versus sadness, both of those are negative emotions. Neither of those feel very good, but anger is an activating negative emotion. When you're angry, you want to do something. You want to throw something at the television. You want to yell at that customer service representative. When you're sad, you sort of want to power down, right? You want to curl up under the covers or put on your favorite sweatshirt or eat a bowl, big bowl of ice cream under the covers. Um, and so because of that, sadness, because it's deactivating, actually decreases sharing. Mm-hmm. And so we found our resources is not just positive increases sharing and negative decreases it, but that the high arousal emotions, things like positive emotions like excitement or like amusement, humor, increase sharing, but also negative emotions like anger and anxiety. Whereas emotions that deactivate us, negative emotions like sadness, but also positive emotions like contentment lead to less sharing. And so it's really thinking about how activated uh, the emotion that you're evoking will make people feel. 
Yeah, I really like that choice of words, activate it. What can you do as a content creator, as someone who creates podcasts or writes blog posts or creates videos to actually activate your audience? And, and, and I always talk about how you know you want to get your audience in, involved with what you're doing. And I think activate might or probably is an, an, an even better word, um, you know, getting them off of their, their seats almost and, and, and start to speak up and, and share and be almost a part of it, of whatever it is that, that, that they're sharing. Definitely. And I think, you know, a big thing online as well as offline, particularly for small businesses, is turning customers into advocates, right? Turning people who already like your product, turn them into advocates that will bring in new users to create that viral user growth. But to get that to happen, you have to figure out how to get those existing users or those people that like your product to engage and involve themselves, but also bring in new users as well. Mm, absolutely. And there's probably, I mean, that that in itself could be an entire podcast episode about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, let's move on because uh, I know we're, um, you know, you obviously have a lot of stuff going on and we have three more things to cover in the sections of your book, Public. Public, okay. when you talked about this in your book, it, it sort of reminded me of, of, of social proof. You know, the fact that's one person, you, you see a group of people using something or talking about something, that automatically makes you want to be involved with that too or use that use that thing. And and for, you, you give the example, you, you start out talking about Steve Jobs here, and I, and I love this example um, about the logo. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, the Steve Jobs logo example? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I, I think this is a, a great example and a very simple example that involves social proof in public. So um, a, a number of years ago, uh, Jobs was dealing with a particular issue with their laptop. Very simple issue, but an important one. Apple had always designed their products with the user in mind. They wanted it to be as easy as possible um, and as beneficial to the user as possible. So everything from the customer service to the way when you open your iPhone box it feels were all designed with the customer in mind. And the laptop was the same way. So when you take a laptop out of your bag, the problem is, well, which way should face you? Which way has the latch on it to open up? If you face the wrong way, you have to turn it around. Not a big issue, but easily solved by design. They put a logo on the top, and they had that logo like a compass. You took the laptop out of your bag, and it was closed, and the logo was facing you. It was the right side, and you could open it right up. And that was great. It made it really easy for users, but Jobs found that there was one problem. When people opened up the laptop, the logo was actually upside down. Everyone else had a harder time seeing the logo. And so while they usually made the customer first, that idea the customer's always right, you know, we should fit around the customer, in this case, they actually flipped the logo. They turned it from facing the customer to facing the audience because they wanted to make it easier to see which laptop people are using. And that very simply is, is just the idea of public that we talk about in the book. We tend to imitate others, right? When we don't know what to do, we tend to look to others for information. But if we can't see what they're doing, it's really hard to imitate. And so to make that social influence work, we have to make the private public. We have to make it easier to see other people's behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's some sort of intuitive part of, of, of as being a human is it's just wanting to be a part of a group. And, and when you see a group of people doing something or, or I mean, I, I think you use the example, and I've heard this example before of, of you go, uh, you know, you're looking for a place to eat and you don't, you're not really sure where to, where to go, but then you notice the restaurant with a, the, the longest line. And obviously that group of people there, you may, you don't even know who they are, but because they're all there together at that one particular restaurant, there must be something great about that particular restaurant. And that, that's why I feel 
like social proof is an, is an incredibly important part of doing business online, but it can also hurt you too because you can also share things that might make you um, not as favorable favorable as as you'd like. A lot of people will admit, you know, they see big bloggers put their subscriber count at the top of their sites, uh, so they'll do it too. But then it only shows there's like 50 people following them, and you don't really want to, <laughs> right. you know, you, you don't want to showcase that right away. And so, you know, you you want to approach your stuff as, uh, in in a way as if you're an outsider. And so if you if you were to see 50 people following your site, you know, it may not be a good thing. But, you know, really, it, and you could be creative as far as social proof is concerned. I mean, it's not just about how many comments you have on your post or how many people have download, downloaded your email list. But, you know, that there's a lot of, I mean, it, it's really niche dependent, but there's a lot of different ways you can, you can use social proof to really take your message to the next level and have people spread your, uh, spread the word about you even more. Definitely. I think, I mean, we can think about it in the offline world, examples that use color for, for, for instance. So, you know, some companies, rather than having their product delivered in a usual brown box, they have it delivered in a green box that has their logo big on the outside, which encourages everyone to see, you know, what kind of product someone got delivered and encourages them to do the same thing. And so it's just all about making it more visible that people like your product or like your idea. Yeah, and I think it, you know uh, Derek uses this as a, uh, uses the example of the the white headphones that Apple uses too. Going back to another a- Apple example, and I know it's kind of cliche to use Apple as an example sometimes, but it's it's yeah. it's so <laughs> it's so perfect here because when when you I mean this this goes back to um, to uh, triggers too. I mean when when you'd walk around and you see people wearing the white headphones, I mean you know that that's an Apple product, but it's also social proof for that particular person that. You know, oh, Apple's, you know, you see everybody wearing them. And, and so that, that that's trigger and social proof for Apple. And, and it almost makes you want to go and get one yourself because you want to be kind of cool like everybody else. And, and just like those uh, those commercials with with the colored background and the white silhouette dancing with the white earphones. I mean, it's all it's all it's all it's all uh, choreographed very well. Yeah, no, definitely. OK, so a couple more. Let's talk about practical value. Now, this sounds obvious as far as what gets shared you know obviously you want it to have to have value but but the define practical value what, what does that mean to you exactly and how does it help us i think the idea of practical value is just very simply useful information news that you or someone else can use um people often want to help others as, as you noted and so things that save them time things that save them money make them healthier um you know if uh if you use sunscreen. Some friend of yours may send you an article about the best sunscreens. If they know you're buying a car, reviews about a particular car. If they know you're into restaurants, they might send you restaurant reviews. All these are things that make your life better and easier. Um, but in terms of applying these concepts, you need to think about, well, how is your product or idea useful? And how can you create, uh, and we'll talk about in the story, so it's sort of a Trojan horse story that shows how practically valuable you are to others. Right? So if you're providing a service that helps people solve a problem, how can you craft a narrative um, that shows uh, your potential audience members, hey, this is how useful this product is, this is how this product helped me solve the problem, how it made my life better, and to the degree that it is useful information, people share it because they, they want to make others better off. Yeah, I, th- I think that's very important. And, and although that's, that sounds very simple and almost obvious, I mean, a lot of people, especially online marketers and people doing business online, they, they, they think too much about what the product is and what the service is about, not the benefits that they can give to whoever's consuming that product or information. And, and this is really comes down to the difference between benefits and or features and benefits. And a lot of people will go days and days and days talking about the features of something and because that's what they probably spent most of their time building or making sure worked or whatever. But it, it's really what does that 
feature do or how can that feature help whoever it is that's going to be consuming that information or product and and one trick i like to use is that is the so that test uh, you know if 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 you can if you have a feature and then you follow it up by so that and then you can answer that the the final part of that question or fill in the blank that's how you know what the what the value is or if that thing may even have any sort of value so my product has you know x so that y and if you can't answer that y um then you might have a problem. So really thinking about about the user, the end user first, and really just how how practical. I mean, it even comes down to like what you said, you know, time, health, and 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 money. That those are those are some of the triggers that people have, and that's what people, you know, that ties into emotion and a lot of the other things you're talking about. And that's that's really I think subtle to some people, but very important point. That difference between feature and, and benefit. I mean, people don't like to seem like a walking advertisement. They're not going to go on and on about the features of the product, but they will go on and on about how the product made them better off talking about the benefits of the product. And along the way, they're spreading word word of mouth about that product. Absolutely. Now, finally, you talk about stories, and stories is one of my favorite topics to talk about just because stories is is what got me inspired to to do business online. It was was an interview I heard of a guy who uh, started teaching the – the project management exam and his story that that got me really inspired. It was also the story from a guy named Sean Noonan, who he and his wife are making a living by teaching people how to speak Indonesian through their site, learningindonesian.com, which was that story is still implanted in my head. And that inspired me to go down this route. Now you talk about stories uh, and, and you give a number of different stories. Obviously, in the other sections, stories is what makes this book and what makes those sections memorable. But also you dedicate an in chapter uh, and I think it's really cool how this is the, the very last chapter to kind of pu- push everything together. But you talk about something called, you know, a Trojan horse as far as stories are concerned. And we all, I think a lot of us know the story of, you know, the, the Trojan horse and what, what that was like. But, you know, using stories as a technique such as a Trojan horse was a technique. How, how, tell us about what, what that means exactly. Yeah, and as you alluded to, stories are really important. Um, but I think the one detail that this chapter adds is that stories often carry something inside them, just like a Trojan horse. Um, there's often a candy shell or an exterior um, that's either practically useful information or uh, something that has social currency, but along the way, the brand or the benefit comes along for the ride. Um, so we can think of, uh, for example, um, you know, the, the will it blend uh, example that I like a lot that I think we talked about briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that a blender can cut through an iPhone, isn't that amazing? Uh, people share that because it's a remarkable product. They can't believe that a blender can do that. Um, but along the way, they're not advertising. That's not their goal. But along the way, they're sharing the Blendtec name and talking about the benefits of the product, how strong that product is, how amazingly strong that product is, how it can cut through anything. And so while they're not trying to advertise, they actually are sharing that information because it's hidden inside the story or narrative. Or think about uh, Subway. Subway had that um, ad campaign a few years ago, uh, and the story went around about Jared, this mm-hmm. guy who lost 200 pounds or something, basically by eating Subway sandwiches. He was way overweight. He started going on a Subway diet. He ate Subway for lunch and dinner, um, and he lost all this weight on Subway sandwiches. Um, people don't like being a walking advertisement for Subway, but they will share the story about this guy who lost 200 pounds by eating sub sandwiches. That's an amazing story. It's a remarkable story, but it's also a Trojan horse for the Subway brand. Along the way, people are talking about Subway, and they're talking about the benefits that Subway provides, how they have healthy subs that can help you lose weight. And so it's all about not only creating a story, but wrapping that story around you, right? Wrapping that narrative around your brand or your benefit People can't help by talking about your brand or your benefit, 
along the way while they're sharing that great narrative. Mm -hmm. Now, did you purposely choose the words Trojan horse because that's also, or Trojan because that, that's also the name of a virus? And you're talking about I did. <laughs> stuff going viral. That, that's very, very clever. I'm unfortunately not that. You are cleverer than I am. I didn't think <laughs> about that. <laughs> well, I was going to say that was awesome. I like that. I love little Easter eggs like that. So, I mean, you, you can feel free to say that you did that. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I will borrow that from you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. But uh, I, I really like that. And, and your story about Jared or talking about the subway story with Jared reminds me of the story that I tell about Joe Cross from Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead, who uh, was extremely overweight as well, but did a 60 day juicing fast, just drinking the whole time. He didn't chew for like 60 days and he lost a ton of weight. He got rid of his chronic skin disease. And he told that story through a documentary. That was his story. And that what I also love about stories is, is it really gets you invested as a listener or vested and, and you know, you, you become emotionally tied to to these people when they tell a good story. Obviously, there's there's bad stories and good stories, but this was a good story. And what ended up happening is, is this, quote, Trojan horse uh, of, of a story got me to buy a juicer not within 30 minutes after watching that documentary. So, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, I literally had a, a receipt from Amazon for a Breville juicer, <laughs> the same exact one that he used because I wanted to get the same, you know, health benefits. I mean, I wasn't that overweight, but I have been juicing ever since and I love it. And so now I'm spreading the story. And this particular story is now my Trojan horse for people to go buy a uh, Breville juicer. I don't know, but I get what you're saying. And that's, that's, that's so true. So. But I think that's, I mean, a perfect example, again, of if he instead had said, buy this juicer, it's so great, you should buy this juicer, you probably would have been turned off, right? Mm -hmm. Would have sounded too much like an advertisement. You would have not been interested in the juicer. But the fact that it was told in a story encouraged you to listen and pay attention and, and got you to buy in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know for me personally that I have a great story as, as far as, you know, how I came to be and how I was laid off and just almost accidentally started this website teaching people how to pass an exam in the architecture industry and exploded. And, um, and, and, and I know that's a good story. And I know it is, I don't want to say a Trojan horse because that, that almost has like a negative um, connotation to it for, especially for, you know, tech geeks and stuff like that. But it, it, it is my way of introducing myself and what I do and, and what I teach to people in a way that can connect with people through that story. Not, not just, Hey, come to my site and learn how to make an online business. It's, this is my story. This is how I did it. Maybe you can use some of my examples and do it yourself too. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's a great example. So Jonah, I mean, we just touched the surface on on Contagious. I mean, I, I really recommend this book for everybody. It's 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 again a, a quick, but it's it's an amazing and and very informative read. And uh, I can't wait to share it with everybody. Um, Jonah, just thank you so much for for coming on the show and and sharing everything with us is if there's you know besides getting the book contagious where else can people find out more about you so uh we've built a website jonahberger.com which in addition to telling people about the book and where they can get it actually has a bunch of free online resources uh to help you uh not only read the book but apply the concepts from the book so we have a workbook that helps people walk through each of the the steps in the book and how they can apply them to their business. Uh, we have uh, one pager for an easy reference guide and a, and a host of other content uh, that can help people out. So that's it. Uh, just Jonah, J-O-N-A-H, Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R.com. Uh, and also if people are interested, they can uh, follow me at, at Twitter. Uh, I'm at J1Burger there and tweet about everything related to word of mouth and virality, but also consumer behavior more broadly. Awesome. Love it, Jonah. Thank you so much. 
And, um, you know, good luck with the book launch. And I'm sure we'll, we'll cross paths again soon. Pat, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thank you all for listening to today's session, an interview with Jonah Berger, author of Contagious. Like I said, I definitely recommend it. And you can get your copy through my link at smartpassiveincome.com slash contagious. And that is an Amazon affiliate link. So if you go through that link, I will get a small commission. And of course, I thank you for that. I also wanted to share a new website I created. Yes, a new website, which I'm, I'm really stoked about, actually. This website was actually created as a result of all the new projects I have going on this year and planning ahead for the future. It's a personal website you can find at patflynn.me. I actually tried to get patflynn.com, and the guy who owns it, he, he's super nice. Obviously, he has a, he has a pretty cool name, and, and he's, he's sticking with it, and I respect him for that. I even offered uh, you know, quite a bit of money for it. Um, you know, we're talking you know, high four figures for the site and, and, and not an inch of budge. So again, just to that, Pat Flynn, awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. So I figured that patflynn.me is the next best thing. So if, if you go there, you'll be met with a nice, responsive WordPress theme design. So check it out on your mobile phones and your iPads too. And, and please make sure to check out the Let Go project that's currently featured on that site. Again, this is, this is the book that is coming out later this month. Uh, if you're not listening to this in the future and it's out already, it's a it's a book that's being launched on a brand new publishing platform called Snippet. I'm honored, completely honored to be one of the first few authors to be publishing on this revolutionary platform that combines the best worlds of, of books and blogging. You know, like books, there are chapters in each uh, snippet that you read. However, each chapter is limited to only 1,000 words. So like blogs, it's, it's a quick and easy digestible read. And in addition to that, and my absolute favorite part of this entire thing is that these, these books, these snippets incorporate what they call discoverables. So while you're reading, you may find a relevant video or an audio or images that pop up. And it, and it also integrates social media, which is really cool. This is, this is why actually I was in San Francisco last week because I was actually filming video footage for discoverables within the snippet book. Again, the name of mine is called Let go. So no matter when you are listening to this, I encourage you to visit patflynn.me slash let go, no spaces, and you'll see either the the teaser trailer, which is available now at the time of this recording, or it might be the full-length trailer, um, and of course, access to the snippet when it becomes available. So I hope you check it out if you have the chance. If you do, I hope it inspires you in some way. Show notes for this podcast session can be found at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 59. And here is to you and your success. I will see you in session number 60. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, 
setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. 